It's a wonderful blessing to be back before you guys again this morning. I've already had a, a big morning, and I get to do this too, so this is fantastic. I do want to add to what Mark just said. Uh, just keep in mind our, our pastor as he's away from us, and his family is, I don't know how many of you get the devotional that um, is sent out every day, but uh, his wife Jane wrote one before they left just asking that they would have a real season of rest while they're away. So let's just join them in that prayer throughout, you know, the, the next week and a half or so while they're gone. That not just to sleep, but they would just have time as a family, husband, wife, mom, dad, brother, sister, son, daughter. Give them some, some good rest as they enjoy each other while they're away. We are beginning again, not again for me, again for maybe some of you guys, to go through the, the purpose statement, vision statement, the core building blocks of our church over this fall. So it starts today. Passion for God this Sunday, compassion for people next Sunday, followed by experience, grow, serve the following three weeks, and then we, uh, we begin to hit into the, the core building blocks after that. So we're going to have a lot coming at you. It's kind of topical. So it's a little bit different than expository preaching, although today you're going to very much be in the Scriptures a lot today as we look at passion for God. So we're going to have a lot of fun, but along with that, as we get ready to go into fall, we have a lot of things coming at you. I mean, you saw a lot of the announcements up there. We have, uh, let me just throw them out to you. Next week, I'm going to let the first class of one-on-one -on -one discipleship people know who they are. We have Fix-It Day. We have a life group leaders meeting, an interest meeting. We have a hospitality team training and lunch. We're going to hear about the Women of the Church Retreat coming up. You're going to hear about a brand new ministry for us called Tables for Six that's going to be launching this fall. We have a children's ministry training and lunch. We have the Men of the Church fishing trip. There's a lot of stuff as we get ready to move into fall, and that's just some of it. That's just the stuff that we are getting ready. So there's a lot of options for you. But the problem is, if we just jump into options and just get busy, then we lose the whole thing. We just become another club that does stuff. So today we're just going to stop all of that for a minute, and we're going to focus on what does it mean to have passion for God. Let's do a big unifying question, because I'm not so sure that that whole uh, Packers thing was really a unifying moment. Um, so let's see if I can bring it back into a unity thing here for a second. How many of you watch TV? Just raise your hand. Just, so I would say that's almost everybody. Amazing. How about that? Well, every summer, I look forward to two shows in particular. I look forward to American Ninja Warrior, which comes on every Monday, and it's just fantastic. It helps me think of all the things I wish I could do but can't. And then one of my kind of modern-day heroes, who I think is one of the most authentically Christian men alive today, comes on, and his name is Bear Grylls. And some of you may not know that he's a Christian, but he's got an amazing testimony. And so I like to watch Running Wild with Bear Grylls, which also just came on this last Monday night, where he takes a famous personality out for about 40 hours over, and just kind of survives in the wilderness and does his thing. And what's amazing about that show is not necessarily what you see, but what you know happens that you don't see. Because he spends 40, over 40 hours one-on-one -on -one with these famous celebrities and TV personalities, 
And somewhere in there, without a doubt, in my mind, he presents the good news of Jesus to them. And he talks about their lives. And so if you've ever wondered, who's out there reaching like the rich and famous? Well, you have a moment right there. You get to watch it every Monday night with Bear Grylls and just kind of cheer him on. Well, there was an article with Bear that was going around Facebook a couple weeks ago. And in that article, he says this. The simple things is what I try to keep my faith like, that Jesus is unchanging and we are forgiven. And I, for one, do not want to reach the end of my life in a perfectly preserved body. I want to come in flying sideways, covered in scars, beaten up and screaming, Yahoo, what a ride. That just sounds like Bear Grylls, right? So he brings so much intensity to life, and he brings passion And so this morning, I want us to look at some principles for passion from the scriptures. Now, I kind of walked through this a little bit in my first sermon just a few months, a few weeks ago. And so I just, just by way of knowledge, I want you to know I'm going to assume everyone in here has heard my first sermon. I'm just going to make that assumption. It could be easily wrong, but I'm going to make it anyway. And the point is, I don't want to have to retrack and go over ground I've already covered. I'm just going to keep building, okay? So as a quick way of review, I wrote this on my own white dry erase board after I preached last time, my summary. In order to win the war on low-bar Christianity, the found must get lost in Jesus and live a yes, Lord lifestyle. So today we're going to look at an Old Testament person who did all that they could under God's call and empowering to move himself and his people towards a passionate pursuit of God. Who is this Old Testament person? Well, I had a lot of choices. How many of you have you ever heard of a guy named Hezekiah? Hezekiah, raise your hand. Good, good. I'm not talking about him. Um, how, many of you, how many of you have ever heard of his son, Manasseh? You ever heard of Manasseh? Okay, fewer hands. Yeah, I'm really not talking about him. Um, Have you heard of Manasseh's son, Ammon or Ammon? Anybody heard of him? Okay, less hands. Okay, a little bit. Not talking about him either, so that's okay. But I am talking about his son. And his, his son's name was Josiah. Have you ever heard of Josiah? Raise your hand. Fantastic. Good. Funny story. Our firstborn child's name is Josiah. And it was picked because of the Josiah in the Bible. But that was not originally what I wanted to name our firstborn son. I wanted to name our firstborn son Hezekiah. And Sarah looked at me and said, we are not a Hezekiah family. We are not doing Hezekiah. And so I said, well. And so we went down a couple of lines and we found Josiah. And I have long since told Josiah as he's growing up that my only expectation for him is that when he turns eight, that he reformed the nation. That's all. That's all I'm asking for him. And so he's eight, and it's coming soon. So you're encouraged this morning. Now, Hezekiah, as you may or may not know, was one of the very good kings of Judah. He wasn't perfect, but he was good. He reigned for 29 years. Manasseh, his son, reigned for 55 years and was arguably the worst king ever for Judah. And then Manasseh's son, right after him, Ammon, reigned for two years. And he was just as bad as his dad. And then came Josiah, who reigned for 31 years. I would tell you that Josiah is probably second only to King David 
and the kings of Judah. And a case could be made that he exceeded even him in some of the things that he did. So we're going to be looking at this king of Judah today as we look at a life of passion. So turn in your Bibles or your Bible app, flip on over to 2 Kings 22. As you scroll there or turn there, let me remind you the first time I preach that I'm going to vary the way I do things because when I hear somebody over and over again, I want a little bit of variety or else I get bored. And so in order just to interest myself, I have to change it up or else I'll just get bored with myself. So today's going to be different than the first time. And what I mean by that is we are going to look at a lot of scripture today. The first time I preached, we looked at one verse. Today we're covering a chapter and a half. And so we're going to let the, really, let the Scripture do most of the preaching today, and I'm just going to make some comments along the way. I do this because, I, I vary it because I believe God is inherently and wonderfully creative. I think you can walk outside and you can look at one square foot of ground, and by the time you get done studying all the intricacies of the plants and the animals and everything that lives in there, you have to be amazed, and then you look at the whole world and realize this is a very, very, very creative God that we have. And so I like to change it up a little bit when we preach. We're going to be in two books, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, but 2 Chronicles only for a second. Uh, two very similar books in that they, send, they go along the same stories, but told from very, two very different perspectives. You need to understand that. Kings is written by the scribes. And so the scribes are very fact-oriented. They just kind of go with what exactly happened just tell you what type it, like it is. Whereas the Chronicles were written by the priests. And so the priests of the temple had a little bit more of an agenda, not in a bad way, but just trying something they were trying to stress. And they wanted to, to kind of share more things from their angle. And so when you read about the kings in Chronicles, the good kings don't seem to have very many faults. And the bad kings, there's always something good about them, just about. Whereas in Kings, it's just good, good, bad, bad. That's the way it was. It doesn't mean that anything's less authoritative. It doesn't mean that anything's not God's word. It just means that there's different perspectives to give you a more well-rounded picture. So we're going to draw on both of those sources a little bit. This story is a story of a son, a grandson, a great-grandson. And it begins by telling us he was eight years old. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of, of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. One little addition from Chronicles chapter 34 that you can find. Just a, verse 3, just a little bit of this verse. And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. So I want to say this right now, right here at the beginning of the sermon, so you won't get drowned out by all the text yet to come. Josiah was eight years old. And when he was eight years old, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. When he was eight years old, he walked in all the way of David. When he was eight years old, he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. How old was he? Eight. eight. 
KPC and any visitors in the room, don't disconnect with what I'm saying this morning. You stay locked in because I know some of you are already saying, yeah, but he was some kind of special Bible saint person. Don't let that lie in your head. This is not a book of super saints. It's full of regular people just like you and me. The difference is they made a habit out of saying, yes, Lord, to an exceptional God. So we need to deal with reality, not what we want reality to be. It's a lot easier to disconnect from the pages of the Bible if you see a disconnect between yourself and the people it talks about. Don't do that. Josiah was a regular eight-year-old boy. And despite a horrible dad, despite an even worse granddad, he somehow, in some miraculous way, refused to buy into the easy believism, false religions of the day, which his granddad had really amplified, and he made up his mind not to defile himself, just like those Hebrew boys in Daniel 1.8, one of my favorite verses. He was not going to do what was right in the eyes of the world. He was not going to walk in the way of his earthly father and grandfather. He was not going to turn aside to the right or to the left. What he was going to do instead was that which only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could help him to do. He was going to walk in the way, singular, we covered this last time, the way is straight in the middle with loving God with all that you are on one side and loving your neighbor as yourself on the other, walking right in between those two boundaries. He walked in that way just like David did, and he followed God. And that was his foundation of passion. How did he get there? I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. Can you imagine growing up with a horrible, horrible, horrible granddad and a just as bad dad that were in power for decades and looking around? There's nothing good around you. And yet somehow the Lord preserved him. When he turned 16, the passage from 2 Chronicles tells us that he began to seek the God of David. See, it wasn't enough that he managed his own life and lived according to the ways of God. He needed more. He wanted more. He desired more. And so he sought God. How many of you know that if we seek God, we will find him, right? So Josiah moved from having a foundation of pa passion to growing in passion. And then he turned 18, picking up in verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shepham, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And you're thinking, man, that was quite a mouthful, Chris. That has nothing to do with me. All right, let me tell you. What does this scripture highlight about this young man's life? What was his first priority? It was to rebuild the temple right, to see to the rest restoration of the temple. Why? Because he had nothing else he knew to do. He was raised with no guidance in this, really. And so the first thing that he could really 
think to do was to restore the temple of the God that he was committed to following. But what was remarkable was not that he wanted to do that, but how he did that. And see, Scripture just told us, you probably missed it, he just told us he did that by releasing the abilities and the passions of other people to do it. Did you even catch that? That was so amazing. See, as a pastor, I'm called to equip you for the work of the ministry, to set you loose, to let you rise up and use your gifts and your talents as the Lord has placed within you. Now, I know that some of you don't feel like you have much to offer, but look at the list put in modern-day language, in case you missed it, that I just read. A secretary, an accountant, supervisors or managers, carpenters, builders, and masons. That's who got to do all this. He let them loose to do this mighty thing. And so, just as a shameless plug for what's coming up on August 20th, we have Fix-It Day. And I'm just telling you, there is something here to do for everyone. I asked the deacons last week, I said, what's the biggest number that's ever shown up for a church work day? You know what they told me? 60. And they were excited. They said, 60, that was a big day, big day. Church, there is no reason why 150, 200, 250 of you can't show up. There's just no reason. And so I told them, I said, I did, I said, deacons, you have got to have a list, man. I'm telling you, I'm going to put it on them, and I'm going to tell you, they have got to come, and you have got to, you got to get that list out there. So I am hoping and encouraging and believing that you guys can come out and volunteer an hour, hour and a half, two hours. You can stay the whole time. We'll feed you lunch. Come as a family. Come as a single person. However you come, come, and let's do that, and let's release the talents and the passions that you have in this simple way. Let's keep going. Verse 8, and Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it, and Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who brought the oversight of the house to the Lord. We've done everything you said, Josiah. That's what that means. You told us to, to give the money, we gave the money. We told them to go build stuff and fix it, they went and built it and fixed it. And guess what else? Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. How many of you know that when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you? See, Josiah was doing the only thing he knew to do. Just restore the temple. That's the only thing he knew to do. And what was found was the book of the law that had probably been lost for upwards of six decades. Gone. Because Manasseh surely didn't look at it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Surely he did not. You read about his life. He was not interested in that book. So now it's recovered now, what was the book of the law? Well, it was almost definitely the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Pastor Chris, I mean, come on. You were going to get super excited about the book of the law? That's the worst title ever to be excited about. I mean, come on. Okay. But think of all that's in the Pentateuch. Remember, you haven't ever, you've never, ever, ever read it. Josiah hasn't. 60 years. What is in there that you have never heard? 
the creation story, the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not to mention the flood, going into Egypt with Joseph, coming out of Egypt with Moses and Pharaoh and the, ten, and the, the plagues, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the journeys and the lessons of walking through the wilderness, and yes, the giving of the law are all contained in there. And this is brand new information for Josiah. Imagine the very first time you read or you hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The most magnificent story ever told. Josiah, what are you going to do with all this that has been lost? Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Achim the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shepham the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hukiah the priest and Achim and Achbor and Shaphan and Esaiah went to Hodiah, Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants and all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Thank you, Lord, for that, that ability to say all those names. Now, <laughs> if you say something confidently enough, people will just go with you. It's the tried and true pastoral rule. Remember that, Mark, man. Just, you just say it. Be strong. And uh, people will be like, yeah, that's how you say that. Uh, Josiah knew what should be and what must surely be coming. And he knew that just from hearing the character of the Lord in the first five books of the Bible. He knew because he tore his clothes. And he said, go Find out what God's going to do, because surely his wrath is coming. And he was right. How did he know? Because that passion, that, that was the foundation of his life, and that passion that he was growing in, and that passion that he was releasing others into, it demanded an account. It demanded a reckoning. It demanded it because of holiness. And what leaped off the pages of the book of the law for Josiah was a holy, holy God. And he knew there was none to be found anywhere around him. But the story doesn't stop there. Huldah the prophetess goes on, But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. 
Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. For the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thus says the Lord, for my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above your thoughts and your ways. And the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so King Josiah, the only one who had the reaction he should have had, was to be spared. What would you have done if you had received that kind of message from a very gracious God, if you were Josiah? Would you have just kind of sat back and chilled out and been like, it's not going to happen to me. That's good news. I'm just going to kind of sit back and chill out a little bit. Maybe you would have dug your head into the book and read all those things you've always wanted to know but didn't have available to you. You just read and read and read and you would have just hoarded all that knowledge and just sucked it up and sucked it up and sucked it up. Maybe, uh, maybe you would have built up some big walls around yourself and said, you know what, all those people out there, the Lord's going to judge them and the wrath is going to come, but in here, I'm good, and so I'm going to put up some walls and I'm going to make sure that none of that comes in here and none of here is going out there, and we're just going to keep this thing just the way it's supposed to be. That's what we're going to do. I ask you, what would you do? Because that's what we struggle with in the church today, is it not? I mean, there's absolutely a large number of people that go to church and say, Whew, I got mine. I'm good. I got that fire insurance. I know what I believe about Jesus. As for the rest of them, they're kind of on their own, but I'm good over here. There's others that just go to every Bible study, hear every sermon, pumping it on the iPods, listening to people all around the country, worshiping all the time, sucking it up, sucking it up, and never give a drop to anybody else. And then there's the last group that says, you know what, we're just going to have our Christian subculture, and we're just going to live in our little bubble, and all those people outside the bubble, they're going to do whatever they do out there, and we're going to do what we do in here, and good luck out there, but we're good in here. That's America. That's the church today. Those are very, very real struggles that we face speaks to that ghetto mentality that Pastor Steve talked about a couple weeks ago. So what did Josiah do? Let's see what he chose. Chapter 23, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, basically everybody. Everybody could come. And he read in their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. Two things to notice from that passage. The first time you encounter the Word of God and the God of the Word, what needs to leap off the page is His holiness. Because once you rightly understand His holiness, you can rightly understand His love. 
And isn't it interesting how Josiah never saw it as a book of the law anymore? Now it's a book of the covenant because he understands grace. This is a God that has reached down to his people and made a way where there was no way. And so he calls the people, the second point, he doesn't put up walls, he doesn't say, look at me, he doesn't isolate himself and suck it all up. He says, I'm going to follow this God. Come with me, people. Join me. Embrace the passion of my heart. He called them to rise to the moment and to embrace the high bar of faith. The same thing he's pursued since he was eight years old. Now we could read verses 4 through 20, and you could read about how he tore down the idols and struck down the false priests and all, the peop- all, all those leaders who have led his people astray. And you could read it and you would shudder at the violence of Scripture. It's a very violent passage, the things that happened in there. And I'm not saying you shouldn't read it. You can read it on your own time if you want to. But we're not going to read it right here, right now, because we're not called to that. We're a New Testament people. And the glory of it all is even the judgment and justice that Josiah met out, and even the judgment and justice that you see the God of the Old Testament metting out over and over and over again still didn't account for all the sin. It didn't account for it all. And it just built, and it built, and it built, and it built, until one day, some 2,000 years ago, another little baby was born. And he didn't do anything wrong his whole life. He came and he lived a pure and wonderful life. And when he was around 30 years old, he began to say too much and talk too much in the eyes and ears of some because he began inviting people, just as Josiah did, into a relationship with this God. And they arrested him, and they beat him, and they whipped him, and they hung him up on that cross. And not only did he have to go through all of that, but all of that wrath, all of that stored up judgment that should have been meted out here, that was consistently passed over, was poured out on that one man named Jesus Christ. And he died. But then, as we sang earlier, the good news is three days later, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again. And because he rose, we can be a people who stand for truth, but we walk in love. And so our call is not to punish the evildoer and to condemn the wrongdoer, to cast judgment on the sinner. Ours is to call, come, believe in God, see who you are, and be made new again. And that's the wonder of the gospel. And Josiah illustrates this invitation all those years ago. And now for the final decree of King Josiah's 18th year of life. Starting in verse 21. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. 
for no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. And in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Not since the time of judges. No Passover under King David. No Passover under King Solomon. No Passover under Hezekiah. No one. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. And so here we are getting ready to take communion in a little bit. And we understand that the cup of wrath that God poured out and poured into was fully satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus. In the days ahead, you're certainly welcome again to look at 2 Chronicles 35, verses 1 through 19, to understand all the details of the Passover. Again, the priestly authors make a bigger deal out of that than the ones in Kings do. But there's one last verse I wanted to read to you as we begin to turn the plane towards the runway of application. Verse 25. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. What an amazing thing to be said about you. Now, Josiah did have a prideful slip at the end of his life and didn't realize the warning of the Lord. And because of that, his life was cut short and he died in a battle. But he died at the age of 39 years old. 31 of those years, he was king. And his life is remembered as one who loved the Lord with all his heart, his mind, his soul. And there had been no king like him since. He had a foundation of passion. He grew in passion. He led a movement of passion, and it changed a generation. God used an eight-year-old boy to change a generation. So last week, Pastor Steve preached a sermon to all the children. He reminded us all that we need the next generation, and the next generation needs us. So, what have you done about that in the last week? Have you prayed about it? Have you contacted Pastor Mark or Tara about serving the next generations? I'm urging you to be doers, not just hearers. What was it that took Josiah from someone growing in his passion to someone unleashing that passion? We read it already. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. See, we have the same book, plus more good news than Josiah could have ever dreamed. All he had was the first five books of this. We have 61 more. That's a lot more. And you can buy all of these pages for less than $5 in America. And yet the reality is most of us treat it like it's worth about $5. When was the last time that the Spirit of God spoke to you and shredded your heart through this book, launching a movement of passion? That's what happened in Josiah's life. 
for many of you, I would guess it's been a long, long time. And for some of you, it's never happened. Why do you say that, Pastor Chris? Because life happens. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? We deal with job losses and financial hardships and are my kids going to be okay here and there and divorces and the government and the crises all around the world. We get distracted. I just want to encourage you to refocus this morning. We offer a pre-service prayer here every Sunday at 920. Come, refocus every week. I would challenge you to spend at least as much time reading out of this book each day as you do reposting articles and memes about the upcoming elections on Facebook. Just at, at least as much. If you don't read out of the book of life at least as much as you read about the affairs of this world, I encourage you to adjust that. And I exhort you, that means encourage you, to rise up and take Pastor Steve's sermon to heart last week. Reach out to Pastor Mark and Tara and begin exploring how you can serve the next generations. We can turn the corner because if the Lord can speak to the heart of a young boy whose dad was horrible, whose granddad was worse, then he can look at the United States of America, he can look into Virginia, he can look into Virginia Beach, he can look at the corner of Kempsville Road and Lock Lane, and he can say, those people, I'm going to create there a passionate people for my name and for my glory. And he can do it because he's already done it in the life of a little boy. In the coming months, we're going to unleash a multitude of options for you to dig into this book. I'm going to tell you a lot about it on August 28th. Will it be for head knowledge? No. Well, yes. Will it be so that you can have some kind of emotional response? No. Well, yes. Will it be so that you can practically apply it to your life? No. Well, yes, too. No to any one of those. Yes to all three. Because when our head, what we believe, or what we know, connects with our heart, what we believe, and connects with our hands, what we do, we will become a righteous, passionate people for the glory of God. And so when we talk about discipleship on August 28th, that's what we're talking about. Here's the bad news. Did Josiah's passionate movement last? Only for one generation. Because see, that's how long it takes for everything to go right or everything to go wrong. And so right now, you have a choice between trying to hold on to sand, which so easily slips through our fingers, and it's really kind of hard to hold on to. 
or a rock that you can cling to. And you have the option to pass on to the next generation. Sand or a rock. And if you choose neither, you're passing on sand. You have to choose. If we don't give the upcoming generations something solid to cling to, it will slip away. Just like it did after Hezekiah to his son Manasseh. It was gone. Just like it was to the generation after Josiah. It was gone. Are we in a situation and a place where we can afford to pass on sand anymore? I don't think so. On your way out at the end of the service will be some tables. And on those tables is a bowl full of sand and a bowl full of rocks. If you want to, your kids can do it, you can do it. Just pick up one of each and just tangibly feel the difference. We've got to be a people that holds rocks, pass it, passes on rocks, builds upon rocks, not sand. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to trigger passion in ourselves. And so we have to come before you and ask that you would awaken within us a desire that's beyond us, that you would speak to the Spirit of God in our spirits, that we might desire the things of God above the things of this world that we would understand all the things we do as a church, all the things we do as a people, we do to bring you glory and to give your name the sounding board that it needs in this world. And we have to be a people that is not known for what we're against, but what we're for. We have to invite people into who you are. And the only reason we can do that is because of Jesus. And so this morning, as we come to this table in a few minutes, under Pastor Neil's leadership, help us to be mindful of the fact that of the tremendous price that was paid, the cup that was drunk by your son, full of wrath. And remember that because of what Jesus has done, we can call you Father and we can be your child and that changes everything. Come and meet with us in these next few minutes, we pray. And for anyone who does not yet know Jesus, we extend to them a special opportunity to come to faith today. For today is the day of salvation. The gate is open for you today. Come and meet your dad. In Jesus' name. Amen.